Hello and welcome to another edition of Minutes with Mute. I'm your host, Mike Galtieri, as we're joined alongside the one and only Scott Mutrin as we close uh, out the regular season for Boston College football, a 7-5 record. Uh, victorious, big time over Syracuse up in the Cary Dome. Scott was there. First of all, Scott, just get your general thoughts on a, a nice closing uh, win for the Eagles. Well, Mike, first off, hopefully you had a good Thanksgiving and the stock stuffing was good as we ex- we hoped it would be as we talked at the end of last week. <laughs> yeah, it was it was nice. I was on Cape Cod. It was nice. All right, so you got a little old-fashioned Thanksgiving. I like it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> pretty, much, pretty much where the Pilgrims were. Well done. <laughs> um, so going into that to the game, it's you know the Carrier Dome. No matter how good the BC teams have gone in there, they've always seemed to suffer some terrible fate there. This is, I think. This win was either BC's fourth or fifth win in the Carrier Dome of all time. BC's been playing Syracuse for a long time, so that's a tough place to win. So, you know, BC should really win no matter where Syracuse stood, playing a third-string quarterback. Um, As I say to everybody else, as I say to Meter and and, uh, Pete all the time, I was like, no one else feels sorry for you when you have injuries, so there's no reason for you to feel sorry for, for another team that has a lot of injuries. It's part of the game. Uh, and that's what happens. But uh, BC really took control of that game from the outset. There really didn't seem like at any point that you were concerned that BC wasn't going to be able to pull this game out. I think offensively they executed on all facets of the game. You look at the production, it came in many different ways. Darius Wade was great, 16 for 20, 280-some yards, threw the ball in the intermediate levels to, to a bunch of different guys. You saw... BC and, and Scott Leffler really tailor their game plan towards Darius's strength, and that's getting the ball out of his hand, uh, getting the ball in the, in the short term to, to intermediate areas, and getting it to a lot of different guys. Um, playing in the dome is a great place to throw, and with you know a lot different than than what he faced in Fenway Park with the cold and the rain last time. So. You got to see a, a Darius Wade in, in all his glory, and he, I thought he did really well. And John Hilleman, you know, started the game in the backfield, and then you get then you get freshman, eight, you know, ACC Player of the Year, and all the other accolades that are coming with AJ Dillon. First team All ACC as a true freshman. His first carry is a touchdown. Second carry a 50-yard run. Third carry a touchdown. I mean, he was as always as he has been the last half of this season a one-man wrecking crew. And he was outstanding. Uh, he probably, if they wanted to, he probably could have got 250 to 300. But they kind of kept his carries down, which is good to see. Got John Hilleman involved. Also, Travis Levy with a great touchdown catch coming out of the backfield. Um, wasn't afraid to juggle it a little bit, make it a little more dramatic. But they really hit on all cylinders in the defense. You know, it's funny if you watch BC's defense throughout the year, those first couple drives, it looks like they're always trying to find their way or finding, you know, what the other team does well. And, you know, this offense that Syracuse runs, it's a, it's a high-powered offense because they go tempo, they leave the same personnel on the field so they don't allow you to substitute, but it's not a very complex scheme. So you get, you've got guys in space that have to make plays. And, you know, in years past, BC struggled with tempo teams, struggled with quick passing teams. And you saw, and you saw BC throughout last year, and especially this year, has become a very good man coverage team in the secondary. And even without Cameron Moore, you saw Hamp Cheevers have a big game. Will Harris had a great game, two fumble recoveries, one for a touchdown. 
That secondary has mainly held together, minus the Cameron Moore injury at the end of the year. Those guys have really kind of held together the second and third levels of the BC defense, and they've done a really good job because if you really look at how BC's played defense, you know, the prior couple of years, it was all about getting in the backfield, tackles for losses, sacks, and all that. And you didn't see a lot of sacks and TFLs this year, but you saw a lot of solid play in the secondary, a lot of good coverage, and a lot of interceptions. BC was, what, sixth or seventh in the nation in interceptions this year. So they turn guys over, and if you're not going to get to the quarterback, the next best thing you can do is turn them over throwing it. Yes, Jared, well said, well said. Let's get back. I like to focus on A.J. Dillon. Uh, what do you think makes him so successful? Just kind of break it down for us. Obviously, Player of the Year now announced today, uh, ACC Rookie Player of the Year. Uh, what, what, what? Take us in in deep with him. When, what, in your opinion, what makes him a great back as, as a freshman? Well, I mean, he's he's an absolute physical beast. I mean, his legs for how young he is to have legs like he has is is just very impressive. Um, his sheer strength is amazing. And usually when you see guys as big as A.J., you don't see their ability to make cuts, and and I don't want to use the term in a negative way, but make finesse plays. But he's very light on his feet, and he's able to get up in the hole quickly and make a lot of quick cuts and get up and and not really suffer a lot of negative yardage plays. Um, Usually bigger guys like this don't have the vision one, and they don't have the, the foot speed to be able to get in there and make a difference. That and, and then he's just, you know, his brute strength is something that it's, it's really, really impressive to see. The way he, he can take contact and throw guys to the ground. And he's throwing guys that are, you know, three, two to three years older than him, a couple pounds heavier than him. And he's just throwing those, a lot of guys around like, they, they're, you know, like they're, they're high school kids. Uh, his physicality is great. Uh, he's really the whole package. His... Uh, I love his footwork. I love his. I love his ability to to get four yards when when you need to. It's a it's a really a really amazing thing for backs to have because a lot of backs try to get that extra yardage, but sometimes a two yard run or a four yard run is is the all you need to get. But yet he still brings that ability to make that explosive play on top of that. Um, his ability to get to the perimeter and then finish off runs is. And the scary thing is he hasn't even reached and, and kind of figured out how to really run behind his pads, meaning like kind of line his body up with his pads that when he, if he starts doing that and getting in the hole doing that, uh, th- there's guys that already don't want to tackle him right now. And I'm telling you, they, they want no part of him. It, it was amazing. Syracuse wanted no part of him early in that game. And by the end of it, they really didn't want to see any part of A.J. Dillon. What do you think that he has to work on in the offseason in terms of passing uh, out of the backfield? Do you think that will be an option years forward? Well, I think for him, his ability is when you're a young back and when they relied on him so much in their running game, uh, they didn't want to burden overburden him in the passing game by making him learn kind of blitz pickups, third down stuff. From, from what I've seen, he, he has decent hands and he can catch the ball. But they just don't want um, – I, I think they're just trying to relieve some of the burden and give Travis Levy and John Hilleman a couple opportunities to get out there on the field. And, and, and you know, John Hilleman's been good in the third down situation, catching, um, catching the ball and blocking for, uh, in the passing game. So I think that they're really just trying to, 
to limit his exposure to that and really just let him focus on running the football and not try to give him too much of a mental burden uh, in the rest of the offense. And then shifting gears, we mentioned Darius Wade earlier. Um, obviously in a dome, better conditions, but it was nice to see him have a nice big game, uh, especially in his last regular season game of the year. And uh, hopefully he could take that into the bowl game as well. And then second part of that question, are you, were you surprised, Scott, that we didn't see any E.J. Perry down the stretch? Um, I, I was a little surprised that they didn't put E.J. Perry in. Um, I thought, you know, after he got some reps versus UConn, you would, expect, you would have expected to see a little more of him, especially as the game got out of hand. But I think Coach Adazio and the staff was probably a little hesitant because when they did that last week against UConn, UConn was able to get back in that game pretty quickly. So I think they may have been a little shell-shocked, and they just wanted to get that seventh win and get off the field, which, which you kind of respect them for that. In the, end, in the end, you have to do what's best for the team and not necessarily what's best for one player. Um, so I, I understand that. I know it's a little frustrating for people that, that um, EJ hasn't seen more reps than that. You know, he burned a red shirt for a couple handoffs, but – you know, it's like we've discussed before, there are plenty of other ways to either make this up, and if he ends up coming back next year, because who knows what the status of Anthony Brown is with his knee. Um, so he's going to have to play either way, and if he ends up playing two or three years, no one's really even going to think about how much he played as a true freshman. Um, now, getting back to Darius Wade, I think he really showed his ability to, to distribute the ball. I thought, you know, when you're in a dome and you don't have to worry about any of the wind or any of the rain or the elements, it's primetime conditions to throw. And BC really came out saying, all right, we know you're going to make us throw the ball, so we're going to throw it. And and I thought Darius did a really good job, very accurate, a couple big third down throws, but also a couple nice throws um, inside the numbers. He had Jeff Smith on a slant route that has should be a staple to this offense that hasn't been in a couple years. And when BC's able to hit this slant route, Jeff Smith makes a nice catch. It's right on his upfield shoulder. Jeff Smith gets like a 20-yard gain on top of that. I mean, that's, that's, what, you know, that's what this BC passing offense should, should look like. That's what they're trying to get in there. They just haven't had a guy that's been able to pull the trigger and put it in the right spots consistently enough. And... The fact that he did that is, is a great showing for him that he actually stepped up and really felt it was his team. I think when you, you know, competed for, like he has for so, for so many years and, and really never felt like it was your team, now that, you know, AB's not coming back, he kind of was able to just play with his shoulders back and just, just have that confidence to just know that, hey, these are my guys, this is my team, we're going to win based on what I do. And have a little of that swagger, and he really showed that. And uh, I, it was very, fairly evident throughout the game how confident he was in delivering the football. And that's the, honestly the Darius Wade I expected when I saw him, you know, throwing the ball as a true freshman five years ago. Yeah, you know, as you were thinking, I, I thought to myself, that must be nice to not at least know uh, over your shoulder that you could come out if the play turns bad. Anthony Brown's not there. Uh, E.J. Perry, very young, but it, it's kind of like ride or die with Darius Wade. From his perspective, that must be a nice feeling as a quarterback, I would assume. Yeah, you know, quarterbacks, we're a fickle bunch. You know, you, 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 you want a lot, you expect a lot, you prepare for a lot. And in the end, you just want to, I guess, feel like that you're the guy. And you just want it to just be known. And when you've been bounced around a lot, and I've been in that situation on both ends, that in the end, it's just good to feel loved. 
I mean, it's not that, but it's just like to feel like that there's no other choice but me. Now I can just go play. And I was able to do that at the end of my career, um, my last year, that I, I didn't have to worry about looking over my shoulder. I was just able to play. And when you have that freedom to do that, you're not worried about every single throw and every single mistake. You're just able to go out there and do what you do best and have fun and, and, and wing the ball around the uh, field. And then, Scott, take us to the defensive side. Uh, who do you think stood out? Obviously, you mentioned the secondary earlier, but Zach Allen as well, the defense line. Just, I just want to get your general take on the defensive side of the ball uh, for Boston College and where they stand right now. Well, for the, for the game in and of itself, I thought Ham Cheevers played a very good game. He was, you know, breaks up that, that lateral pass that allows Will Harris to pick up that very heads-up fumble and take it to the house. Um, that was a big play. Will Harris had you know, another fumble recovery late in the game. But Lucas Dennis has been a staple to that defense. Is you know seven or eight interceptions this year. He's been great. Um, I think Isaac Yidem did a good job. You know Ishmael from Syracuse is a, is a you know first day NFL guy. He's a stud and he put up some numbers. But BCU stood with them and, and kind of corralled that. They didn't give Syracuse a lot of their easy bread and butter stuff in the secondary, and they played really well. Um, I think an, uh, the most underrated guy for the season this year, I'd say, is Ty Schwab. And it's yeah. funny because he's pretty much last man standing because every other linebacker has come and gone throughout the year. And he's been the only staple for that entire core. And I thought he played his best year of football at Boston College this year. He was great in the passing game, great in the running game. Um, you know, he did have some missed tackles. But, man, he was out there all the time. And he was really the true kind of north star or beacon of that defense that kind of held them together. And then I thought, you know, Davon Jones comes in and he starts. And, man, he was all over the field. He was, I mean, I don't know if he knew what was going on, but wherever he was running, he was hitting somebody. And his jersey was untucked. His, everything was falling all over the place. But, man, wherever he came, he was hitting somebody hard and he was playing with a lot of physicality. Um, I, I thought he did a really, really good job. Um for not having played the linebacker position until about a month and a half ago, to be able to go and do what he did against an offense like Syracuse was was unbelievable. Um, you know, John Lamont got his recommend, you know, his recognition for his great work this year. Um, and I thought I thought Zach Allen, if you give me an MVP of the defense, was the MVP of the defense for the entire year. Um, he was. He's a guy, and if you watch that defense. Anytime they need a big play, every time they need a big play, he always seems to be there. And there's something about guys that do that that I really, really respect and really love watching because those guys know the moments there and they're able to to raise their game up and, and make and make a big play when everybody's raising their game up. And his ability, his size, strength, and and speed, I mean, he's a he's a stud. He he's gonna play in the NFL, no doubt. Um, I know the postseason accolades didn't go, you know, as he probably deserved. But man, that kid is was the end all be all of that 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 BC defense this year, and they relied on him so much, and he had to play. Him and Wyatt Ray in the end ended up to play every single snap, which as a defensive end is not an easy thing to do. And those guys deserve a lot of credit. But I mean, Zach Allen, if you're putting an MVP, that's that's your guy right there for the defense. You know, it could be interesting, too. The offensive MVP and the defensive MVP, you think A.J. Dillon maybe Zach Allen, are both from the Northeast, both from Connecticut. So that, that's got to help out recruiting. The they both wear the same number. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. 
yeah, they're both, uh, who would have thought Connecticut was a football powerhouse that uh, producing those two best players. And that's a credit to Coach Adazio and the staff for bringing those guys back in. Um, I know Paul Zukowski, who coached A.J. Dillon at, at um, Lawrence Academy, I'm sure had a, had a factor in bringing him to B.C., so we owe Paul Zukowskis, Mr. Coach Cuddlecakes, as I affectionately know him as, for a lot for what he did in bringing uh, A.J. Dillon or helped bring A.J. Dillon to B.C. Because you can't tell me that Jim Harbaugh isn't sitting there going, wow, I can't believe I want to make this guy a linebacker. Yeah. He must be kicking himself right now. You're right. He's probably been kicking himself since he saw Chucky Williams from Louisville get thrown to the ground like he was yesterday's garbage. You're right. You're right. Especially Harbaugh and Michigan, not the greatest year for them this year. They did not meet expectations. They used a guy like AJ Dillon. Yeah. What's the, what? Give me. I gotta rewind a little bit. What's the nickname of Lawrence Academy there for, oh, no, for coach? It's Co- Paul Zukowski is a former teammate of mine. From yeah. Yeah. College and uh, his nickname as his, his his mother, God rest her soul, called him was Cuddle Cakes. So <laughs> he didn't. He wasn't expecting me to hear that when his mom said that to him when we walked out of the stadium when he was a freshman and I was a junior. And uh, once I heard that, his mom called him Cuddle Cakes. He's affectionately been known as by all of us as uh, as Cuddle Cakes. So Coach Zukowskis is Coach Cuddle Cakes. <laughs> He'll never live that one down for mom. <laughs> no, never. Not that's. And he knew it the moment I heard it, tw- you know, 20 years ago. <laughs> That's great. Uh, uh, Scott, I'm interested. Give us the take for the fans who weren't there. What was the atmosphere like in the BC locker room and on the buses afterwards after a great, uh, you know, ending to this year at 7-5 above 500? Yeah, you know, you end up winning five out of your last six. But you see that, and it wasn't like, you know, in years past, it was it was more like, oh, wow, we're really excited to be here. We're, we're really lucky. Especially that first year, I think they were more along the lines of relieved just to get there. This year, it's they man, they expected it. It was business like, I mean, they were happy that they won and ended the season on a high note, but they expected to win. They weren't hoping to win. You know, earlier, I, like I would, I guess that would be the better way to say it. Earlier in Coach Adazio's time, they were hoping that they would win these games or, or waiting for something to happen. They expected it, and the way that they played and the way that they've been playing the last half of this year is they go in every game expecting to win, not hoping to win, and they play with that confidence and that tenacity. And, man, from from the first whistle to the last whistle, they come after you on both sides of the ball. Um, they, they don't let up. This offensive line has really shown up well. Um, I know we've, we were kind of talking about the bowl season and what matters the most. Um, the ability to practice for these bowls helps the players that don't necessarily see a lot of playing time in the year. And you're like, well, Mute, how does that really help us or help me really understand what 15 practices can do? Okay, well, most of the starters aren't going to see a lot of time in those first couple practices, so you get a lot of young guys in there that maybe haven't seen the field. They get to go rep. They get to go run the offense. They go get to get you know physical reps against other guys, and they get to see after a year of seeing their team kind of go out there and produce. So they get those physical reps that allow them that if they're forced to play, which because of all of BC's injuries this past year, you saw a lot of guys who probably last year in the bowl season got a ton of reps, and maybe they didn't make the first team or the second team but because of injuries guys got thrown into the mix and they stood and they stepped up 
Sam Schmall is a great example of that. I mean, he ends up being, what is it, honorable mention all ACC. He wasn't even a starter. Wasn't even a starter to start the year, right? Uh, John Phillips, another guy, wasn't getting a ton of reps. He goes in there and he ends up being a, you know, a very, very good player for BC on the offensive line. So BC is going to come back next year with eight guys on the offensive line that all can play. And not just a little bit, they can all play. And to have that is, is something they have not had since the first two years of Steve Adazio's era because they had no depth and no talent. They were forced to play young guys way too early in, uh, in the last couple of years. But now those guys have all gotten, you know, gotten their wear and tear. And those guys, and guys like John Lamont, who didn't play a lot, you know, last year, but as a freshman, got all those reps in bull practice. It allows him to go in there, and although he wasn't on the top of the depth chart to start, he had had live reps in this bull preparation, and that allows these guys to kind of be ready to go and get some time in this, you know, the system instead of just running scout team like they did all year. Well said, Scott. It should be exciting. We have the bowl game coming up. Let's uh, let's talk right before the bowl game and uh, let's preview that. Does that sound pretty good? Yeah, sounds good. Where do you think we're going to be heading? I have to, if I have a hunch, I think it's going to be uh, El Paso, Texas, the Sun Bowl, or I think it's going to be a lower tier bowl, beyond like a military type bowl. If it's going to go tier oh. one, it's going to be the Sun Bowl, or we're going to fall. I, Notre Dame losing did not help Boston College. Because uh, I think they're going to fall into the ACC uh, bowl pecking order and push everyone down a little bit. Yeah, but I think because of what happens that Miami or Clemson, depending on the ACC championship game, may take one of the spots that would have been slotted for Notre Dame in the in the, in the higher tiers. Yeah. So I don't know if we're going to see that much fall down. But um, you do know what El Paso stands for in English, right? El, no, the what? And, well, it's, well, El Paso is Spanish for the past. So I know it's simple, but that's it's one of Pete Cronin's favorite things to say. Oh. So, um, we actually flew into there a couple years ago when they played New Mexico State. And, uh, um, you know, I'm not really looking forward to, to, to going back, although it's a good bowl and it would be a good opportunity. I think the military bowl is going to end up being Virginia, but I get the sneaking suspicion that we're going to be in a New York state of mind. Yeah, pinstripe bowl, that'd be good. We did a couple years ago. Um, yeah, yeah, that would be good. That, that You can't go wrong without beat. BC perspective uh, in the Bronx, New York right. City. Yeah, and you'll get some good. The good thing that you can sell that way is that you're going to get a lot of fans because there's a lot of alums of BC in the New York area. Yeah, and they'll yeah. be able to they'll be able to come to that game, and they'll they'll BC actually traveled well to that game when we played Penn State. Um, we actually had a lot of people that showed up, so I think that that's a good sell because in the end, it's not. It's not about the one or the two or the three or the four team in the ACC going anywhere. Um, now it's just about who can sell tickets. So you got to be able to sell to these bowl guys that you can. Uh, you're going to sell tickets. That's all they really care about. So, I mean, ideally, we'd love to be down in Florida or or Music City Bowl or Nashville. You know, someplace awesome like that. But uh, in the end, you want to be in a place where you're, you're going to have a lot of fans because there's nothing worse than going to a bowl game where. Your fans aren't going to want to travel to, and it's going to be kind of quiet. It feels like you're playing a scrimmage, you know? We just need another, like, remember that day in New York? It was like 60 degrees, December 27th, I think it was. It was crazy. Yeah. So hopefully get that again. That would help out ticket sales, too. You played two of your last three football games on baseball fields. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's how, yeah, hey. That's how, they'll, t- they'll take it, though, I'm sure, in a heartbeat. Oh, yeah, I'm sure they will. So we'll see. 
All right, Scott, as always, thanks for joining us here on Minutes with Mute. Thanks a lot, Mike. I appreciate it. Great.